Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Well, as we begin this new sermon series in the book of Exodus, what a great anthem to begin with as we turn our attention to the third chapter of Exodus where Moses is confronted by God in the burning bush and says, here I am. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the book of Exodus. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them, so come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. This is my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. O oh, gracious God, as we read these ancient words, we ask that your spirit would be upon us and that by the power of your grace and presence with us we might hear your word. Speak to us now as only a living God can. For we pray in Christ's name. 
Amen. This past week, we were all stunned by the images that have come on our television and computers from Houston, Texas, where Hurricane Harvey dumped incredible amounts of water on a struggling city, the fourth largest city, apparently, in the United States. Shelters popped up all over to accommodate the thousands of refugees from the rising floodwaters. One church in particular, Joel Olstein's, came under blistering attack in social media for failing to open its doors to those in need as the floodwaters were rising. That church is now where the former home of the NBA Houston Rockets used to be, a 16,000-seat auditorium, and they finally opened their doors this last Tuesday in response to the criticism. Perhaps you saw the story, as I did this week, of Mattress Mac and the Gallery Furniture Showroom. Jim McIngville, better known as Mattress Mac, opened the doors of a couple of the stores of that business to those needing food and clean bathrooms and, of course, luxury bedding for a place to sleep. With more than 17,000 people flooded out of their homes, big-hearted Texans, religious institutions, businesses, turned their places into unlikely shelters offering soaked and frightened and disconsolate storm refugees, both two-legged and four-legged varieties, a safe and a warm place to sleep. At least that's the story as it read in the Associated Press. Mattress Mac, he's the most loving person in Houston, said one storm victim at the store, 47-year-old India Jackson, he turned his store into a resort for refugees. You know, it's interesting how in the midst of disasters, sometimes the best of what it means to be human comes out. Mashiko Chen, an Israeli cancer survivor in Houston, has this massive Studebaker truck that was used to rescue those who were stranded by the waters that not even an SUV could get through. And a mother and father and their six children hitched a ride with Chen across town. Chen said about an earlier bout with illness, the cancer that he had survived, it imbued him with a sense of responsibility to others. Muslim, Jewish, we don't care, we help everybody, he said. The family of eight was deposited at the home of Natan Weissman, who opened his doors to people he had never met before. And he said, if there is a disaster coming or a war, everybody becomes family to each other. Now, why is it in the face of adversity that some people step up while others run in the opposite direction? It seems to me that character comes out when tragedy strikes. People either begin to operate on their principles and it rises to the surface of their lives 
principles like loving your neighbor, or they simply become pragmatic and they seek to save themselves and their own possessions. How would you have responded if you were living in Houston this week? How would we as a church have responded? Now, in your order of worship, there's an insert about the Presbyterian disaster assistance that provides a way for us to help, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. We don't need to be passive in the face of these tragedies. Now, Moses was aware of the need around him in his own time in history. The geopolitical, the economic, the historic context in which he lived led to some brutality for the very people of whom he was part. And Moses, prior to this text, has already demonstrated a strong sense of moral indignity at the way things were. But he found himself retreating from the challenges before him, even though for good reason. He was hiding out in the rural areas, and he watched on one day, one occasion, as shepherds chased off some women from a well that they had come to water their flock. Moses interceded again, defending the rights of the priest of Midian's daughters to have access to water for their livestock. Eventually, Moses would marry one of those daughters. He lived by principle. He had a strong sense of moral outrage, sometimes even a temper that went with it, depending on the circumstances. So here today, we have this story of the calling of Moses that led to his leadership of a nation and a people. Because God calls. God calls people like you and me to do some amazing things in life, to make some sacrifices occasionally to our own comfort and convenience for the sake of the principles that matter in human life and for the sake of the people that matter to God. This week, uh, our session and our deacons met together. We met to thank those who have finished their three years of service as elders and deacons, and we met to welcome the newly elected officers to the boards of our church. And as we do every year, those who are completing their years of service have a chance to reflect on their experience. And several of them this week commented on the fact that they were reminded of this line that I have used in sermons before, God does not call the qualified, God qualifies the called. We certainly see that in Moses. You see that in this text in Exodus, where Moses is called by God and he begins immediately to protest that he's not qualified twice in that text. But Moses said to God, who am I? But Moses said, who should I say sent me? When God appears in the Bible, 
It's often in the form of fire, as we heard in our time with children this morning. Moses encounters God in a burning bush. God's presence will be with the, with the children of Israel as a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day as they traverse through the desert for 40 years. At Pentecost, there were tongues as of fire above the disciples, and it gave them the power to speak in different languages, reversing the Tower of Babel. Fire gives light and warmth, but it's unpredictable and it's potentially dangerous. Perhaps you've been following, as I have, the last two days, the Latuna fires in the Verdugo Hills. These fires closed both the 210 and the 2 this week, and we all woke up yesterday in this part of Los Angeles County with our lawn furniture and our cars covered with ash. Neither fire nor God are to be trifled with. And in the calling of Moses, the judgment of God was ignited. This burning bush sparked something entirely new in Moses' life, in the life of the people of God, and in our lives, and in our world. Now, I'm not sure Moses was the kind of guest you would want to invite to a party. He was kind of a passionate, loose cannon. And he could be crudely direct. So it wasn't his political adeptness that caused God to call Moses. But Moses had a way of saying things like he saw it. And of course, that can lead to arguments and problems. Moses was compelled to talk about things like politics and religion. These are taboo subjects for people in polite society. And he called for a radical change of the way things were for the sake of the way things ought to be. John the Baptist was like that. You know, what was frightening about listening to John the Baptist was that he would put you in the presence of God. And, you know, that's what everybody wants. That's also what nobody really wants. It's what everybody wants. It's what everybody doesn't want. Because a light from that fire is different from every other light in the world. There's no more whining. There's no more excuses. All that just is over. The things we tell ourselves about our lives, how we're doing better than most, or at least not as bad as some, or that God thankfully will grade on a curve, surely. And on the curve, we worship enough, and we give enough, and we care enough. But none of that is going to cut anything in the presence of God. What's frightening about Moses and John is that they put us in the presence of God, 
which is what everybody wants. But nobody wants. Moses and John the Baptist were called by God to be part of this kind of radical change of the way things are for the sake of the way things ought to be. And you and I are called to be part of that change too. You know, when John the Baptist would preach after the sermon was over, people would approach him and they'd say, what should we do? And he'd say, if you have any food, share it. If you have additional clothes, share them. And the tax collectors would come to him and they said, what are we supposed to do? And he said, don't overcharge people anymore. And the soldiers approached him and said, is there any word for us? And he said, look, no violence. Don't intimidate people. Don't supplement your income by taking advantage of your power over them. Be content with your own wages. And Christian faith begins and is energized at the waters of baptism and at the fire of the Holy Spirit. Water and fire are constructive and can be amazingly destructive. They destroy injustice and heartlessness. They consume pride and selfishness. They unlock the seeds of growth for things like faith and hope and love, self-giving, even self-sacrifice for the sake of others, and the things that make for life and for health, for wholeness, for community. The righteousness of God has a way of purifying our lives from the inside out. Now, if you're like me, somewhere in your life, you may have experienced God's lightning strike. Maybe it was when you were very young and faith came alive for you for the first time, or maybe it was at a critical turning point in your life. Maybe it was during a crisis in your own life. Perhaps it was one day at church when something unexpected happened or Maybe it was when you went through confirmation or some friend or family member engaged you in a way that opened up a world of new understanding about God's love. Well, get in touch again with where it began for you. Return to the place where that wild and unpredictable power of God first struck in your life. But instead of extinguishing the fire, maybe you ought to fan the coals just a little bit into flame again so that you burn once more with passion and compassion that's known as faith in Jesus Christ. Because faith is about the water of baptism and the fire of the Holy Spirit that gets loose in our lives individually and collectively. God may be calling you to some form of ministry. It may be a ministry in your own family or it may be to your neighbors or it may be here in church as an officer or it may be as a mentor in our confirmation program or it may be simply 
moving you to join a class and learn more about your faith. It may even move some of you to go to seminary and prepare for ministry to lead a community of faith. What is the Lord calling you to today? Maybe the Lord is simply calling you to quit making excuses about preserving your nest egg and instead start investing in the way things ought to be. Maybe the time for you to stop protesting how unqualified you are to embrace that task or that responsibility that you feel some passion about. We too, like Moses, need to learn to trust that whatever the Lord is calling us to do, He will be with us. And He will equip us. We too must learn to trust that whatever the Lord is calling us to, He will be with us. Life is short. The need is great. Don't wait another day to respond to the call of God on your life. Let us live now for the sake of the way things ought to be and the way things one day will be. Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our living Lord. Amen.